welcome to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. Reformation Fellowship provides support and fellowship for all who would stand for the Reformation of Christ Church worldwide. We long to see the church revitalized by the gospel and seek to encourage all who share that vision. We gather together for gospel-hearted fellowship around gospel-minded theology. Hello and welcome back to the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. My name is Justin Shell, and I'm your host. And it's our prayer that as you join us today, that your heart is stirred to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. Our guest today is Dr. Dustin Binge, who is the Associate Professor of Biblical Spirituality and Historical Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and uh, the author of a few books now, uh, including the American Puritans, but we're going to zero in on another book of his that's recently released from Crossway Publishing called The Loveliest Place, The Beauty and Glory of the Church. And uh, we're going to dig into this book with Dustin. We're going to try to apply it to the lives of hurting Christians and hurting pastors in particular, Um, but he's going to help us see the beauty and glory of the church that comes from the beauty and the glory of Christ. Let's jump right in now. Dustin, thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We're so glad you could join us again. Well, thank you, Justin. Such a pleasure to join you again. Yes, and we are today, we're going to be discussing uh, your book, uh, which is about the church, and it's called The Loveliest Place. And maybe that's the that's where we can start. Tell us a little bit about that title. In, in short, Justin, this title comes from a quote by Charles Spurgeon uh, from a sermon that he preached to defined the church as the dearest place on earth. Mm. Now, originally, I wanted to title the book The Dearest Place. Uh, It was thought by some that perhaps that word dearest would not be understood in a modern context, um, since it was during the Victorian era that Spurgeon said it. So we decided on the loveliest place, and Mm. it, it encapsulates really the whole tenor of the book, because I wanted to talk about the beauty and loveliness of the church through the eyes of Christ. And so it was uh, my understanding or my conclusion that when he looks upon his bride, he sees his bride as the loveliest place. Yeah. Mm, Yes. That's great. That's great. Uh, maybe um, for those that haven't gotten their hands on a copy of the book yet, and and just a reminder to our listeners, uh, The Loveliest Place, published by Crossway. Uh, you can find it uh, at Crossway or at their website or Amazon or, or wherever you get your books. But Dustin, could you just walk us through uh, a little bit of what you, you were trying to accomplish with the book. You, you've mentioned a little bit already, but give us a, a little fuller picture. Yeah. So l- let me just say here at the outset that I'm writing for myself. Um, having been in ministry, uh, Christian um, full-time vocational ministry almost for over 20 years now, 
Uh, I've seen many local churches at their best and their worst. And mm. I would imagine that every listener could also say the same. It's all too easy to become hardened over time as we give and give and give ourselves to the church, to the service of the church, with really nothing seemingly in return. Mm. Uh, people disappoint you at every turn, and the church just seems to hurt us again and again. Uh, but deep down, Justin, I love the church despite all of those things that sometimes take place within the confines of, of that institution, if you will. So I've been convicted to shift my perspective from my own self-interest, that is, what the church can do for me, what the church can give me, how the church can serve me, just so much self-introspection, which often, just to be honest, fuels our disgruntlement toward the church. And yeah. I desire here to look at the church through the lens of Scripture, through, the, through a Trinitarian lens, through yeah. the lens of the cross. And so this book is for all those who sometimes struggle uh, to see any redeeming qualities whatsoever within the church, those who tirelessly serve within her ministries while dismayed by her apparent failures, or those who have almost rare, unsustainable glimpses of her beauty, I would say this book is for you. Mm -hmm. And the singular goal here is to awaken the affections, not affections for form and methodology and structure and organization or programs, but affections for who the church is mm. and why she exists. And yeah. so that's the goal, or that's what I'm trying to accomplish. And I guess it will be up to the readers to determine if that is what is accomplished. Yeah. Yeah, just a, a, a quick follow-up on that, Dustin. I've I've read some books on the church, and I, I'm sure that our readers have. I've uh, I've I've read some books on uh, not just how the church functions, but uh, some on what the church is, um, and yet none of them seem to uh, have that goal of helping me to um, love the church to see it as the loveliest place. Um, what what made you want to write particularly to to that end? And I mean, instead of here's how you run church well, or here's uh, even even theologically, well, the, the the here the maybe here's some of the metaphors for what the church is. But you're sure. really targeting this book about the church at the heart of Christians. It seems. Mm. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's a, a good question. Um, reading throughout church history has, has really helped me, uh, particularly in the Puritan era. Um, you'll see several quotes uh, in this book sprinkled throughout from various Puritans, but particular emphasis given to Jonathan Edwards, who 
really looks at the church through this Trinitarian lens that is being Mm. chosen by God the Father, being purchased and redeemed by Christ the Son. And he sees the church as the love gift given from the Father to the Son as Mm. the reward for his sacrifice and atonement on their Mm. behalf. And so Edwards even says that the very end for which God created the world was so that Christ could obtain a spouse. Mm. Well, well, what does that mean? What what does that look like? And so I began to go allegorically um, into, uh, for instance, Song of Solomon. I opened the book by giving a a verse from the Song of Solomon uh, and looking at John Gill, who was an 18th century English Baptist pastor, uh, looking at his interpretation of the Song of Solomon, along with so many in church history, as Mm -hmm. this conversation that takes place between Christ. Christ and his church. And so if she is his bride, how does Christ look at or see his bride? Now, Mm. when we look at our bride, Justin, our wives, we don't begin to talk about form and methodology and programs and how she's structured or organized or whatever. No, I would hope that husbands would begin to describe the loveliness of their bride and the qualities and the beauty of their bride. And so I would see that Christ, according to Ephesians 5 and Paul correlating the two uh, there, both with husband and wife and Christ and the church, that that the church will eventually at the end be presented to Christ without spot or without blemish. Well, how do we become without spot or without blemish? Well, there has to be some sort of beautifying process that takes place. And of course, we know that theologically as sanctification. And mm-hmm. so that, that that's what I wanted to look at. I, I, I wanted to be like Paul, Justin. I did not want to build on another man's foundation. Now, there's great books on the church's mm-hmm. form and methodology and structure and organization, et cetera. But I, I didn't want to go in that direction. I wanted to see something different. Could you take us a little bit further into how into connecting our beliefs about the church to our understanding of who God is as Father, Son, and Spirit? Could you help us understand how the, the Trinity informs what we should think and feel about the church just a little well, more? That's a, yeah, that, that's a major portion of the book. Uh, actually, yeah. three really whole chapters, four chapters on this Trinitarian view. And, and, and I think perhaps... Um, yeah. There's no more robust foundation upon which we can build a a definition of the church than the eternal work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And most of the time when we begin to structure a definition of the church, it doesn't really include this Trinitarian understanding. Mm. But it's impossible to view the church except through a Trinitarian lens. And this is because the church belongs to God. Mm. That is, uh, the church is his treasure and consists of his children and friends. And to define the church as a mere earthly institution is to completely miss who the church is in God's eternal mind and heart. Mm. 
And the church's beauty only comes into clear focus when we behold her through the lens of God's relationship to her. Now, that is to say the church was never the plan B in the mind of God. And, Mm. And I think sometimes that's the way we view her. Even when Adam and Eve fell in the garden in in Genesis 3, of which we're all familiar, and introduced sin into the perfection of God's creation, the church was still the trajectory of God's redemptive plan. That is, God in eternity past chose to set his love upon the church through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and become a father and friend of the church, that is the redeemed people of God. Now, if we move to the second person of the Trinity, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's Christ who brings the Father near to us through his incarnate work of his virgin birth and sinless life, substitutionary sacrifice on the cross, his glorious resurrection, triumphant ascension, and present intercession, thus making Christ our Savior and head. And so the church is the spouse of Christ, and this spouse is given by God the Father to his Son as a reward, as I've already noted, for paying the penalty for sin. And so the church is intimately united to Christ. And then, of course, we're all familiar with when Jesus ascended back to his father, he said, I will send you a helper. And we know that helper is the third person of the divine trinity, the the Holy Spirit, who becomes the church's helper and beautifier as he fills and helps, guides, calls, aids, grows teaches, sanctifies, matures, intercedes for the church, and we could just go on and on. And so you see the church receives the full attention and beautifying work of every person of the Godhead. We have a father and friend, a savior and head, and a helper and a beautifier. Friends, we want to take just a moment out of our conversation to tell you about the upcoming Reformation Fellowship Conference in Atlanta, Georgia, November 11th through 12th. Our theme, the theme that we will gather around is the gospel, our hope, our banner. We want to come together, celebrate the gospel, unite around the gospel and be encouraged in the gospel. You will hear plenary addresses from Michael Reeves, Dane Ortland, Phil Riken, Jeff Norris. You will also select a track to participate in at the conference. There's a track for any Christian who just wants to go deeper in their faith. There's a track for pastors, a track for women, and a track for theologians and scholars. And the hope for these tracks is to grow you, to develop you wherever you're at and whatever way you're serving the church, but also to encourage you by connecting you with others in a similar place. Those tracks are each led by wonderful theologian leaders, and we just know that you're going to be encouraged. So that is November 11th and 12th in Atlanta, Georgia, hosted by Perimeter Church. It will be the first Reformation Fellowship Conference in the U.S., 
and we will gather around the gospel, our hope, our banner. Everything you need to know, you can find at reffellowship.org. That's R-E-F fellowship.org. We hope to see you there. That's wonderful. It seems like one of the things you're you're doing in starting with um, who we are, who the church is in relation to God, um, you're helping us really see the difference between uh, what the church is and then on the basis of that, what the church does. Why do you think that's that's so important? Well, the short answer is because God defines the church first by who she is rather than by what she does. Mm. And in chapter one, I think it is in the loveliest place, uh, I begin by examining, and I've already alluded to it, that verse in Song of Solomon, uh, chapter one, verse 15, behold, you are beautiful, my love, behold, you are beautiful. Mm. Now, as I've said, John Gill, that English Baptist pastor, he's interpreting this as an intense allegorical portrayal of the love, union, and communion that exists between Christ and his bride, the church. And so Mm -hmm. Christ looks at his bride, the church, and says, behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Now, Justin, this has nothing to do with what she has done or will do, Mm. but that she radiates beauty in just being who she is. And what's so amazing is when we consider that the church is composed of sinners, Mm. once enemies of God in her own eyes, and we could give testimony to this, the church is full of spots and blemishes. We could have many podcasts pointing Mm. out those spots and blemishes that make her sometimes, just to be honest, quite disgusting to behold. But here the Apostle Paul comes along and alludes to the fact that at the end in Ephesians 5, that she will be presented to Christ without spot or any such thing. And so the church isn't beautiful just because of what she does but she's beautiful because of who she is. And that has nothing to do with us. Mm. That is the church is beautiful because the lens through which Christ regards her is his cross, the focal point of blood and righteousness and forgiveness, union, justification, regeneration, and grace, the cross, Christ's cross makes her beautiful. His sinless perfection makes her beautiful. It is his sacrificial, substitutionary, sinless blood that washes her garments white as snow. And so from giving second birth all the way to final glory, the righteousness of Christ creates a beautiful church so captivating that he repeats his admiration twice in Song mm-hmm. of Solomon 115. And so our definition and view of the church must flow out of who she is rather than what she does, because when you misunderstand who she is, you will never understand what she must do. Mm. Yeah. 
And you do tend to see when we've turned church into just a pragmatic um, club, uh, gathering a, a social um, uh, group of some kind, that eventually we do begin to say, you know, is this meeting my needs? Is this, mm. do, do I want to keep doing this? Uh, is this worth my time? Um, and, and we're more than likely to eventually, I think, if, if it's just about what's being done for us, say that, no, this is not worth my time. Absolutely. The the church, I think, very sadly, Justin, over the past uh, number of years, and perhaps this has always been the case in different eras of church history, um, but particularly now in the time in which we live, the church has become, a, become an institution rather than a living organism. And when we see the church as nothing more than a, an institution like a local civic club, there's nothing otherworldly about it. Um, she has leaders. She has meetings. She is there to function for a purpose, etc. Mm-hmm. And and all of that may be true, but the church is not merely an institution. The church is a living organism that mm-hmm. Christ died and bled for and purchased with His own blood, and is sanctifying us now to bring us to glory, that we may dwell with Him for eternity as His eternal spouse. That mm-hmm. that is the church. It is a living organism, and so to see the church as a mere institution is to really downgrade our ecclesiology. And so what it, the church becomes is what she can give us, what she can do for us, how she can serve us, what's in it for me, uh, meet my needs, meet my spiritual needs, my felt needs, my emotional needs, and it's give me, give me, give me when it should be. My goodness, we should worship and praise the Lamb for purchasing us mm. and and sanctifying us and beautifying us in order to bring us to glory. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to take us in um, a direction where we we've we've recognized what the who the church is, who she's meant to be, what what kind of um, a place, therefore, she she should we should experience when we come together, um, but that's not always the case, as you mentioned earlier. How do you hope the book ministers to maybe the Christian who's been hurt by the church? It's it's necessary here to to understand what I'm not saying. Sometimes that's as loud as what I am saying. Mm-hmm. In other words, I'm not saying the church is perfect. I'm not saying the church is always going to do and say the right things. I'm not saying the church will not hurt you and sometimes hurt you badly. And all of this can lead us to feel apathetic, cold, very indifferent toward the church. But I want to encourage every listener of this podcast and every reader of this book, don't view the church through the lens of God's people who are yet to be fully sanctified, but view the church through the lens that God in Christ views her. There is no perfect church. And as some have said, if it were perfect, 
it wouldn't be perfect once you got there because you're a sinner. <laughs> and so don't expect a perfect church. It's not out there. You're not going to find one. Mm-hmm. But let that be an inducement to you to seek one who said that he would never leave you nor forsake you. Keep your eyes on Christ and see the church as he sees her, as his beloved bride for whom he died. After all, ultimately, it's Christ we serve. It's Christ we worship. It's Christ we glorify. And nothing should stop us from doing that in the context of the local church. And I want readers to finish this book with an awakened affection for who the church is in the mind and heart of God. And I want readers to begin to see the church as lovely and as beautiful as Christ does. I I want readers to give and be given in the service of the church that she may be presented to Christ one day without spot or without wrinkle. And so this is a process. That's what sanctification is. It's progressive. We are progressively wiping our garments off um, without spot or without wrinkle. That's why it's at the end of the age, not now that she will be presented to Christ. And so this is a process and we have to understand that process. And yes, there's been many hurt by the church, but let's again, shift our perspective to something else. Yeah. 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 And you know, that brings up for me, then the minister, the, the pastor, uh, who maybe finds himself weary with God's people um, because he knows better than anyone um, how we are not what we're meant to be. And uh, what would you say to the pastor out there who is just has been slogging away and finds himself growing more and more upset with the church, more and more wearied by Mm. Well, that's an excellent question. Um, In in my experience, uh, men often enter pastoral ministry because of their ardent love for Christ, uh, the chief shepherd, but quickly discover that their love isn't quite as robust for his sheep, uh, Mm. who are often uh, very stubborn animals. And it's no accident that we are defined as sheep. Um, such men may face immediate opposition, difficulty, uh, dissent from obstinate church members, uh, causing pastors to question their calling and sometimes even leading them to drop out of ministry uh, altogether. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have found that in the past couple of years, especially navigating the waters of this global pandemic and ideological problems that have arisen and all the rest of it. Sadly, pastors too often say, I would love the ministry if it were not for the people. Um, Pastors become disheartened, hardened, desensitized, losing the zeal they used to possess. Mm. And as a result, they retreat into their own study, uh, desiring to protect themselves from heartache while neglecting the needs of the people to whom they've been given charge. And Mm. it's this cyclical, dangerous territory that sometimes so many pastors are in. And so if, if we are to recommit ourselves to the beauty and loveliness of the church, we must recognize that people are the ministry. Yeah. That is, as, as tricky 
Justin, as they may be, as difficult as they may sometimes be, Jesus is our supreme example of love extended to wayward sinners. And the ministry consists of searching for the lost, strengthening the weak, comforting the grieving, challenging the weary, restoring the fallen, and feeding the spiritually hungry. That is the ministry. In other words, while vital in the life of the church, preaching is only part of the greater whole of of pastoral ministry. And what a unique and unbelievable responsibility and opportunity we have to be part of God's beautifying process of the church. And I I really hope and pray this book reorients your view, understanding, and ministry trajectory to, to turn our eyes off of the things that make us weary and to turn our eyes to our Savior who paid the ultimate price for his bride with with death and and resurrection, paying that ultimate price. Mm -hmm. And so no matter how weary you are, how frustrated you may be, let's put ourselves in the shoes of Christ as he stands giving his life for his bride. We have never, nor will we ever pay such a price. And so let us put ourselves into him and find ourselves united with him as we serve the body of which we are called to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dustin, I know we're, we're getting close to the end of our time together, but I wonder, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but um, I, I think that hearing this and, and having maybe their uh, understanding of the church um brought more in line with the view of Christ for the church. Uh, This has to be changing people's lives. And and I wonder if maybe there's one or or two uh, stories or testimonies, maybe that you could, you could share with us as, as people are encountering this truth, how, how is it ministering to them? How is it kind of helping and, and changing them? Is there a story that comes to mind for you? Uh, that, that, that's a really good question. Um, I, I've been in some circles where uh, the book has, I mean, it's only been out a couple months now, so uh, where the book has ministered to people. And that's very humbling, Justin, because, um, you know, you, you kind of put yourself out there in, in writing and uh, just not being truly confident in one's own ability, but yet desiring to be confident in what Christ can do. Um, And so I I will give him preeminent uh, glory for uh, what he is showing people and teaching people uh, through this work. Um, And I I just really pray and and trust that he will use this uh, for his glory as as people's perspective perhaps shifts. Um, Mm. But a couple uh, months ago, um, I was at Shepherd's Conference uh, out at Grace Community Church, and uh, very mm-hmm. kindly, um, uh, Pastor John, John MacArthur, uh, endorsed this book, and I was so grateful for that. Um, I had an opportunity to, to speak with him just shortly at Shepherd's Conference, 
And when he shook my hand, um, he, he made the comment, and, and I will not forget this, uh, he made the comment, no one is saying this in reference to the book. That is, mm-hmm. no one is yeah. talking about the beauty and loveliness of the church. Yeah. And, and it just occurred to me, of course, that was very humbling coming from him, uh, very kind. Um, but it, it just occurred to me that perhaps that's why we are in the mess we're in is because no mm-hmm. one is saying this. Yeah. No one is recognizing this. And he, he began to get, give uh, just a brief testimony about, um, about his own church and about how people talk that way um, and demonstrate their service in that way in that church because they do see uh, the bride of Christ as the loveliest place. Mm-hmm. And so he was just saying that, that his own church was reflective of this type of language and description. And so I've had that from a, a number of people that, that have come up to me, and I've been so humbled when they say, mm-hmm. I've never thought of the church in this way. Yeah. Um, I've read about, again, structure and organization and methodology and how the church should do this and what the church should do in this instance, et cetera. But I, I've never quite captured who the church is in her beauty. And it, mm-hmm. this is not an ecclesiology proper. That That's not necessarily what this is, but it is ecclesiology in that yeah. we, we are searching for a definition, a biblical definition, a theologically robust definition of, of who the church is. And so yeah. when people say that they've never seen the church like this, but they are beginning to because of this book, well, that yeah. just warms my heart and, and humbles me uh, great, mm. greatly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Dustin, I wonder if I could ask you to do one more thing for us before we, before we wrap up here. We know that today the church in some places is persecuted. Uh, she's harassed and hurting. In other places, she maybe embarrassed herself recently through sin and compromise, uh, and so is ridiculed in those places. Um, maybe in some other places, her heart is cold, uh, while other, you know, and still another place, she, she's growing and multiplying and courageously proclaiming Christ and serving the lost and hurting. And um, yeah, just as we think of the the bride of Christ globally, um, with that in mind, I wonder if I could ask you to pray for Christ's mm. church worldwide as we mm. wrap up here. No, of course. What a what a tremendous privilege to to be able to pray uh, for the church. And so, um, yeah, let's uh, let's go to the Lord in in a word of prayer. Our Father, what, what a joy it is to come before you in, in this moment on this uh, Reformation Fellowship podcast to intercede for the bride whom you purchased through the sacrifice of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the cross. Father, by, by sending him to death and raising him the third day, Our view of the church is one of awe and amazement because through her, we see 
your eternal love. Father, we recognize that in every generation and age that the church sometimes struggles to define herself, to to find her way in the sinful world in which we live and struggle sometimes even to fulfill her mission of carrying your gospel to the ends of the earth. And our time is no different, Father. Even in the past few years alone, we have seen untold turmoil within the church from those being hurt by her supposed leaders to those pastors and servants discouraged because of wayward members to division and disunity plaguing her mission and and so much more that we could pray about. But Father, we pray as our Father and friend that you would bring about a marvelous transformation of the way that we see and serve the church. Restore our confidence in what you have promised to do in and through the church. Remind us of our Lord's words, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against her. Father, renew our commitment to give and be given in the service of the church. Revive our hearts to love her people, to pray for her leaders, to serve our neighbors, to be lights in our community and gospel heralds among the nations. Strengthen your church around the world. Those experiencing persecution, those that have been thrown into the ravages of war, those experiencing decline, and those that have been experiencing the great outpouring of your spirit. Father, you are our only hope in this hour. Pour out your grace, mercy, and repentance upon us. Grant to us that we may glorify you in all things through the preaching of your inerrant word, through the means of grace, and in our service to others. And we pray that you would grant all these things according to your will and for your eternal glory and the exaltation of our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 Dustin, thank you. Thank you for pointing us to the one that Jesus says you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Uh, His church is bride. Thank you for for that in this conversation. Thank you for doing that in your book, The Loveliest Place. And thanks. Yeah. Just thanks again for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much, Justin. Um, And for Reformation Fellowship, for Union, uh, for all my dear friends there. Uh, Thank you so much for the continued ministry of Reformation Fellowship, and it's my prayer that Reformation Fellowship um, would seek to beautify the bride of Christ, Mm. and Mm. that is my hope, and that is my prayer, and so thank you for the kind invitation to join you again. Yeah, amen. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for joining us here on the Reformation Fellowship Podcast. We pray that this time together has been a blessing to you. The Reformation Fellowship is a ministry of union. And so all that we do, we hope it helps you to delight in God, grow in Christ, serve the church, and bless the world. If that is your hope, that is your desire, then friends, welcome to the fellowship.